I'm Pete Hammond. And I'm Dominic Patton. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today we'll be discussing the recurring theme of POTUS in this year's television shows, along with some of the contenders for Best Comedy at the Emmys. Plus, you'll also hear interviews done from our annual Emmys Contenders events with the cast and creators of HBO's Insecure and Netflix One Day at a Time. But first of all, let's get all Commander-in-Chief on you. Now, there is two types of Commander-in-Chief on television in 2017. There is one who is on a dramatic fictional show and maybe a dream or a nightmare of who you think the president should be. And then there is the Trump TV show, which is the now longest single-running, continuous, hour-by-hour show that you'll see and recurring on at least three cable networks, cable news networks, every day, wall-to-wall. Can anyone be a better president for TV than Donald Trump. Definitely not. I mean, Donald Trump, I thought when the election ended, it was goodbye MSNBC, which I was religiously listening to and some of these other things because it was such an interesting thing. But I said, okay, you know, and now it's going to be over. But no, it's gotten better and better and it's it's compelling television. I don't know how uh, the creative community competes with this or even tries to compete with it because uh, truth is much, much more interesting and stranger than fiction. For and, sure. and of course, you know, Comedy <laughs> Central now have a show called The President Show, where basically you have, well, it's a guy doing Donald Trump, but you have Donald Trump, which I believe in many ways was probably the president's real dream was to get another TV show, because we always forget yeah. this is the celebrity apprentice presidency. Yes, I think so, too. I think he just wanted to play president, basically. I don't think he wanted to be elected president for real. And now that he is one, he doesn't quite have his lines you know? No, but they've got all they've got all stages. I hear from people that he refers to the cabinet room as the boardroom. Yeah, it's hilarious. He's dying to tell someone they're fired. Yes, you can tell he's, he's dying. Got, he's got Ivanka there. I mean, it's the whole thing yeah. is is similar. And the way he's playing off of his staff is, is very much like being on The Apprentice. I mean, for God's sake, Amarosa works for him. This is so strange that how can how can these other shows where, where we have fictional presidents or they're trying to be political, how can they compete? I don't know. You know, House of Cards seems extremely weakened by this because Frank Underwood no longer he's seems just not unique. he's not the baddest guy around he's no. just not <laughs> like I mean it's just, I mean the, the thing is is you almost want to see in a sense what we saw in the early 2000s when George W Bush became president and NBC's The West Wing, specifically Martin Sheen as as President Bartlett, became almost the unofficial opposition. Yeah. This is like, oh, what if that was our president, yeah. right? What if that? And of course, there were a lot of bruised knuckles and broken hearts about Al Gore losing, though he didn't fight hard enough, in my opinion, to win it, the 2000 election that everyone tried to steal. In this case, I don't know if we're seeing that yet. I mean, Frank Underwood just isn't that. Even now, House of Cards, you know, even though it's coming back, it just it just doesn't have that. You've just given me the greatest idea, which I will now say what it is and people will steal it, but why not create a series with the perfect president? The one that gives the public what they want. Create it, go a couple of seasons, three seasons, and then spin it off into the real deal. But see, that I think- star of that actually runs well, for l- office. Listen, listen. I, firm, I, I firmly believe two things. One, <laughs> that's what ABC's designated survivor is, which is what if there was a true outsider became president, but he was a do-gooder? 
Yeah. Secondly, but Kiefer Sutherland's not really going to run for office. I'm and, saying and hire Ke- somebody because— And Kiefer can run yeah. for office because he's actually born in England, raised We've in Canada. We've seen now they don't go for politicians. They go for personalities Martin that Sheen. are created on Martin television. Sheen. Martin Sheen. I, be- I believe—I once saw Martin Sheen in a hotel uh, lobby in London a couple of years, about a year or so after West Wing went off. And he was walking with two bodyguards. He was going to interview. I swear to God, it was like see- you were walking down the hall going, oh, there's the former president of the United States with his couple <laughs> of Secret Service agents. I mean, That's when you exactly. see— him at events right. even still. I mean, Martin's obviously on Grace and Frankie and he appears in movies and stuff like that, but that's who people know him as. He's yeah. President Bartlett. And what we don't have, we have Scandal. We have Madam Secretary. We have House of Cards. We have Designated Survivor. Hell, we even have Mark Cuban kind of postulating that he might run in 2020 or hinting and playing at that when he's on Shark Tank and appears on cable news with Jake Taper and many others, Jack Tape, many others. But we need to have a President Bartlett because actually, to be honest, yeah. the Democrats aren't providing any real life opposition. No, we don't have any yet on the Democratic side. And, you know, the whole thing is up in the air. We ha- we still have like it's four years, you know, and uh, and nobody's coming up. And no, see, we- see you, you said that wrong. It's four seasons. Four seasons. That's is what, what this I is. Mean. And this is the president have- who's all about ratings. So how is ratings due season Somebody's after season? Somebody's got to come out of television because that's all the American public relates to. They have blurred the line between ratings reality and real life and clearly and to answer this we need somebody created by television now who else in real life mark cuban's one who else could come out of this and run for president off television we don't have we don't have anyone yet no not yet i mean trump rachel maddow rachel maddow would be quite interesting that would be amazing um uh, would not win no. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. You're doing great in the demo in your hour now. You're you're killing it. You know, she's there's so a select smart, audience. Though. She's so smart. I listen to her, and, uh, and it's an amazing show. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But the Democratic Party, if we're going to give advice here, they need to come up with somebody and get them a series quick. Well, maybe, you know, what? maybe if someone gave <laughs> Michael Bloomberg a reality show, yeah. he'd have three seasons to get himself where he needed to be, which was outside of the bubble of, Man- of New York and the five boroughs, and people might seriously see him as a player. That could and be interesting. he's the only one who could probably get Rupert Murdoch to at least consider and it needs him. to be somebody with money that can finance this thing themselves. Battle of the billionaires. That's it. That's Battle so, of the so billionaires. Bloomberg, you know, uh, Mark Cuban. These are the guys uh, to look for, the guys that already have the cash. So you hear us, networks and cable. We need a more creative president for the better <laughs> of our nation. Well, we'll see. All Trump all the time. <laughs> and now, having said that, let's have a word from our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by the critically acclaimed drama Queen Sugar. From Oscar-nominated filmmaker Ava DuVernay, executive producer Oprah Winfrey, and Warner Horizon scripted television for OWN. Variety says Queen Sugar is visually stunning. Essence raves that it is gorgeous in its honesty. And TV Guide magazine calls it powerful. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. Well, I'm not too sure there's anything presidential happening on HBO's Insecure, but it is a great show with Issa Rae just doing a magnificent job really telling stories that you don't see in the mainstream, even on cable, which is something to say nowadays. I talked to Issa at our Deadline Contenders Emmys event in April, and she talked about how she approaches a story that isn't often seen in Hollywood, and also about transitioning from the web to HBO. You know, one of the things about Insecure is it details the lives of contemporary African-American women. And, and, and as you have said before in previous interviews, you, we wanted to look at the complexities of blackness. Insecure focuses, a, I would say, a very sharp spotlight, rarely seen on the small screen. So what is the process by which you bring these stories to the show? I 
take a lot of it from real life. I love slice of life stories. I love stories that feel rooted in, in reality. And, you know, a lot of the, the characters on the show um, are based off of uh, interactions I've had, people I've met. Um, just our writer's room is super central in terms of making sure that the stories come from a, a, a real place and a kind of diverse place. We have a diverse range of stories. And I say that every writer in the writer's room has a piece or a morsel or a chunk of their life on screen as well. And so I really think that helps to to dimensionalize the characters and, and, and black the black characters especially. I mean, obviously, you know, we're all from different backgrounds, but we're telling we're not trying to tell a um, a universally black story. I don't think there one exists, but we're telling a very universal we're telling a universally specific story uh, that focuses on two black women, two black female friends um, who are helping each other to be better, essentially. You know, one of the things is, is, is and you mentioned just now, is, you know, the show is incredibly accessible, but also challenges the audience on racial lines, gender lines, class lines, and, and many things like that. How do you establish the balance on that? I mean, people characterize a show like Insecure as a comedy, but in many ways there is that new hybrid of dramedy that we're talking about that you really find, you find with a show like this. Yeah, I think that nothing's just straight comedy, nothing's straight drama. I think in drama there are always elements of, of comedy. In black culture, you're always trying to laugh through the sadness. And it's it's just it's a, it's a testament to just the experiences that we go through, and and again going back to something we're not it's not a documentary at the end of the day, but we're just trying to tell a um, a very very human story, and I think by putting elements that other people have gone through and having dimensional characters that you feel like you know in your lives. I think people are holding on to that. We, we, in creating the show, we wanted people to say, well, I know that guy, or I've slept with that girl, or, you know, I've... <laughs> or I've that guy. That, or that guy. I've been through that situation, um, or both in some cases. So it's just, it's just a matter of um, representing that. But the most rewarding thing is, you know, having um, 80... I remember I was in Chicago uh, for a screening, and... Um, I think Chaz Ebert was doing the, the moderation and the audience was a bit older and they put me in the middle and I was sitting behind these older black ladies and I was like, oh, here we go. I know we say the P word so many times. I know they're about to be mad at me. They're going to pull me after and be like, sis, your mom, does she teach you better than this? <laughs> so I was already ready for the lecture. And then the broken P word song, the broken pussy song came up and I just watched them crack up laughing like, girl, and I was like, oh yes, this is, this is great. And so that's, that's been really rewarding seeing all different types of people take to the show. Going from talking to one of the rising stars of TV, especially on cable, and to talk to two legends, our Pete Hammond, also at our Deadlines Contenders event, sat down with Rita Morano and Norman Lear. Yeah, that's right big names for decades, about the One Day at a Time revival, and about performing for a live audience, and how that affects your performance every week. Rita, what do you get out of having an audience every time you're doing a, a show like this every week? Oh, it's very sexual. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It's that, too. It's romantic. It's sexual. When you stand behind an audience and they belly laugh, you see them rise a little out of their seats and go forward and come back with and a guffaw. And that's not all that rises. And 
And, uh, <laughs> yes, and that's not the only thing that rises. That's right. Yeah. Oh that's what I, I said. I think that was a line from Carnal Knowledge, as I remember. Oh, <laughs> oh you remember, got me there. Remember that one, yeah. yeah. Uh, so cool to see uh, you in this role, by the way, Rita. You're so great in it, and it's such a great character, too. I love her. I love her. She is so big and dramatic and theatrical and unreasonable. All of the things <laughs> that go with that kind of ego, we have that right now in the White House. But... Uh, <laughs> She's a lot cuter, but I love, I love, you know, I can't imagine uh, how they thought of me for this part. It's so big. <laughs> I wanted I to ask uh, down there, Gloria and Mike, and by the way, Gloria and Mike, weren't that uh, Sally Struthers and Rob Reiner's uh, character names in All in the Family? That's Mike and right. Gloria have come. Uh, you, you may imagine a family having a child and saying, let's name him after that character. That's what the Royces did, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and the Collettes. Is that right? Also, Meathead, then, you're known as. Uh, I, I, yes, it's maybe implied by my wife a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guys talk about this in, in bringing this show to life again now in 2017 and how you approached it, especially with a Latino uh, cast here? Well, you know, initially when Norman and I sat down uh, and he told me, I was nervous because it's my family and it's very personal. And a lot of times you see it get wrong, you know, get done wrong. And so uh, I left the meeting with him feeling so secure. And same with Mike. When Mike and I sat down, I felt like these men had my back to tell an authentic story of a Latino family. You know, this is also the LGBTQ issues, also the veteran issues. These are three very important disenfranchised groups right now. And so to be able to tell funny and heartwarming and real stories about people that don't normally get to have these stories told is incredibly empowering. And in front of an audience, and both had had experience with audience. The theater, yes. And this is like live theater, essentially. Absolutely. Our scenes yeah. are very long. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a very theatrical experience, and that's, I think, what we love so much about the show and, and, and what that multicam experience brings to it. It's, it's just that moment, those big emotional moments that you can have in that context that we try to take advantage of as much as possible. This week's episode is brought to you by the critically acclaimed drama Queen Sugar. From Oscar-nominated filmmaker Ava DuVernay, executive producer Oprah Winfrey, and Warner Horizon scripted television for OWN. Variety says Queen Sugar is visually stunning. Essence raves that it is gorgeous in its honesty, and TV Guide magazine calls it powerful. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. All right, now we're going to talk about uh, another Emmy category. Uh, we've already talked about Best Drama Series in previous uh, podcasts here. Uh, we're going to talk about the Best Comedy Series, uh, which for the last couple of years has been dominated not only in the Best Actress, that's for the last five years, uh, but with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Which now, you're just saying because that's a throwback to our POTUS discussion. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, that, that's the, I mean, that's another one. I mean, it like, is. Here's she, another she, one. But she's an ex-POTUS now. Yeah, she of, is. And she she's never going to run again. Now. You know, we've seen her not that, then elected, and then are becoming president and now not president at any rate uh, veep has won uh, veep has won a couple of years and it, it's still hitting its stride it's still a very funny show and one that everybody knows and that always ha ha happens uh, to be uh, something good now last year's nominees uh, to remind you were blackish master of none modern family which won like five years many in a time row. winner uh, silicon valley a transparent unbreakable kimmy schmidt and of course the winner veep um 
a this, lot of these could come back this year. Well, the Emmys are a lot about, and I know you've talked about this, but the, you know the Emmys. The Emmys have a great sentimental streak, and yeah. they love the they love people who've been around the block before. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I would not count out Julia or Veep at all in no. this. I would say, mm-hmm. in fact, there are many ways in which people might see that that show. I mean, it certainly was last season. Uh, has been reinvigorated. Yeah, and you know, I, I, sadly though, I think a show like Silicon Valley is so consistently good and is ripe to win this, but it doesn't seem to have the mojo when it comes to actually winning. It gets nominated, and I'm confident it will be nominated again. It just started again uh, recently on uh, on HBO with another great season. Uh, I don't get the appeal of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, quite frankly, in this race. It's a charmer. It's a yeah, charmer. You know. There's also, I think, again, to talk about the sentimental value, you know, the fact that Tina Fey is involved with it, yeah. I think that that's a big deal. It very much has that 30 Rock New York feel. Right. New York is a little bit of a magic kingdom that you play in and of course but with some very very serious emotional issues where i think this year is you know comedy's hard man yeah. i mean comedy is just it's hard tough. and comedy is even harder in the multi-platform multi-channel universe because yeah. if you can't get uh, most of america laughing they're just not right that's where i think you're going to see something very interesting with fx's atlanta Oh, which that's I thought, which I thought was the best new show of 2016 when you and I did it, both our respective year-enders. Uh, yeah. And HBO's Insecure, which I also thought was one of the top 10 best new shows of 2016. These two shows, I think, really, not only are they funny and smart, which is always good, right? but they're new, and they also aren't replicating anything else that is out there in many ways. Look, I love Veep. But Veep, to me, in many ways, does play off, and no disrespect to it, does play off, as does Silicon Valley to some extent, the uncomfortableness and the awkwardness that something like The Office introduced, where you feel like there's a, there's a documentary going on in your fly on the wall of watching horrible people be, act badly. Right, yeah. Insecure, with its look at African-American women and the lives that they lead, and Atlanta, with its look at the Georgia, the, 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 the peach of Georgia and the, and the people who live there, they're so unique in what they present, and yet so accessible and appealing by being so smart and funny. Yeah, I think so. I don't think Insecure is a traditional comedy, um, uh, you know, and I don't know how it's going to play. Is anybody anymore? Is Transparent? I, I think it's lead. We'll get, you know, I'm... Uh, Issa Rae? Issa Rae is, is more likely to get nominated. I do think Atlanta is going to get in for sure. I, I think I think Atlanta's the one to beat. Oh, my God. I, Atlanta, I mean, Golden Globes. At, I mean, you know. It won the Golden Globe. It won a couple. And I, I, I think Atlanta is definitely... Not only a surefire nominee, but one that absolutely could could win it all. Plus, Don Glover is playing Lando Calrissian in the Young Han Solo movie. Well, there you go. There so, you go. Another, how can you vote against that? Another good reason. Now, let's talk about Transparent. This is too. This this is a dramedy essentially, and uh, I think Transparent is actually is actually hobbled by the fact that yeah. it doesn't fit into it. It, it, it is doesn't the, it, fit here, right? And that's which why, is what is great about the show. Yeah. Actually, intrinsically, is yeah. it's a show that doesn't fit. It's about yeah. people who don't fit. Exactly. You know why not Chuck Lorre? I mean, let's go back to the networks here and talk about the Big Bang Theory, which used to get at least nominated. Now doesn't even get nominated, even though it cleans up every never week in the won ratings, an Emmy for one of his series. 
It's so number one in terms of comedy series on, on television, network, or cable, or anything else. You know, I bet, I, I bet if you took Big Bang Theory numbers, you took what they have on CBS for first runs, you took what are on syndications, you took what yeah. out there. I bet Big Bang Theory is one of the most watched television shows of all time when you when you ag- aggregate it all. And look at this. It's in whatever number season it's in and going on for another couple of them at least. I mean, and still remains fresh and, and keeps that concept going in a smart way. But it's taken for granted, and that's the problem when you get to this. I feel sorry for Chuck Lorre, actually. Last year, I did a— I have to admit, <laughs> I, feeling sorry for Chuck Lorre really falls he, low on my he, priority he list. I, an, I have he to— He needs an Emmy. And you know what? Um, I last Can't he year, just buy one on eBay? Well, he tried. Uh, last year, um, I moderated a great discussion uh, uh, at the Writers Guild with uh, Chuck Lorre and Norman Lear, and they talked about comedy and influences. Oh, my God. Well, you, you, that was like Pete Hammond heaven. It was amazing. And, you know, I think the whole idea of whoever put it together was actually to have Norman Lear kind of rub off on Chuck Lorre. <laughs> And and but listen. Well, then I to think them. Chuck Lorre put that together. <laughs> and listening to them, it was fascinating to me um, because uh, Chuck Lorre is a really smart guy, and the shows he does don't get the uh, cred, don't get the uh, appreciation they should get from the Television Academy. Now, speaking of that, I just want to mention one other one: Norman Lear, ninety-five years old, back working on Netflix uh, with One Day at a Time, which eligible is great. Which for is great. comedy series. Where the original One Day at a Time, I don't think ever got nominated for best comedy series. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not. I'm just throwing that off the top of my head. This one is a very smart thing. Plays to the Latino audience as it's well as very, the general very, audience. Very, very, very well done. I and mean, could and, Norman and, Lear be back in this game? Because he he's really out campaigning too. Well, here's the thing: is 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 I I I, I always vote Norman Lear. Like I, I feel that I, I feel that it, it's sort of it's sort of like it, it's sort of like whatever your grandmother wants you buy for her right yeah. um, because your grandmother's awesome and like uh, he's a legend he's and he's a legend and he's a genius and he's a legend because he's around still and as you said he's still working and he's working it hard and he successfully reinvented this show for the times yeah for now exactly and he's got a ton of other fires in the iron as well so and it's Netflix who's got all the money you know, in the world I mean maybe what we need to suggest is a new way of looking at. Which is because I think that what you're talking about is true. There are definitely contenders that are left out. There are a lot of repeats. And then there are people who just simply need to be recognized. Maybe this year the Emmys need to kind of abandon their old voting strategy. Yeah. And it essentially needs to be is who they'd have to line up all the showrunners from all the main contenders for comedy. And whoever can make Norman Lear laugh the loudest gets the <laughs> Emmy. Maybe that's it. Maybe Norman. First man ever inducted. I mean, one of the first ever inducted in Television Hall of Fame. Still working at 95. I'm just telling you right now, this could turn into be a, a Norman Lear year. Well, let us see. All right. Thanks for listening to the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. You can find me on Twitter at Deadline Dominic. And you can find me at, uh, at Deadline Pete. And, of course, you can find all of our Emmy-breaking news coverage and much more at Deadline.com. Today's show was produced and edited by David Janot. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Talk to you soon. Bye.